it was a rough, rough, rough week for the WCC this past week. And the net rankings came out on Monday, and it did not get any better. Welcome on into the unofficial WCC Hoops podcast. Uh, this this was a rough week, a rough start to the week with the net rankings. Uh, a lot of games that did not go the way teams wanted. Uh, the only high spot being what Gonzaga was able to do against USC. We'll get into all of that. We'll talk to Andy Patton from the Locked On Zags podcast um, and get his take on where the Zags are and what where he also sees like the rest of the conference at this point as well. But I'm going to start with uh, just this past week and just the the awful, awful results that came out of it. And just going through the, the, the quick list, the quick hits of that, it's LMU had their shot against Nevada at Nevada. They dropped that one by 14. Uh, USF was at Arizona State. They ended up losing that. They dropped that game. Uh, Santa Clara losing at Cal. Uh, you had Pepperdine losing at Colorado, getting their brains beat in. St. Mary's losing the boat at home to Utah, and then also on the road, new, neutral site in Idaho against Boise State. A lot of great chances for the WCC teams, and nobody was able to cash in um, or or even be able to hold uh, hold form uh, this past week. It was a bad week. Uh, There's no way kind of around what we saw from the WCC. And this has kind of been one of the conversations that we've had over the last few weeks. USF has had their chances. They haven't cashed in. LMU has had its chances. They haven't cashed in. St. Mary's has had its chances. They haven't cashed in. Santa Clara's had some cat has had some chances. They've got one of them. They beat Oregon, but outside of that, they've had they're going to get more chances coming up. But they lose a game that they probably shouldn't have against Cal. It was it was not a great week. There were a lot of things that still have not gone the way that a lot of these teams wanted to, and. There was at least some sort of cautious optimism that maybe, just maybe, the numbers were not going to bury the WCC quite yet, and that there was still time. And I think that there is time for some teams. And the net rankings, the initial net rankings, and while, yes, you do have to take them, with a little bit of a grain of salt, you can't jump. You can't be putting so much emphasis on what those numbers look like right now. But they have a month's worth of data. They have at least an idea, a good starting point for a lot where these a lot of where these teams are. And the starting point for a lot of these teams is just not good. So. I'll go over those quickly just to kind of lay it out where the conference is right now. Gonzaga is obviously has the best net ranking in amongst the WCC teams. They're at 31, which just sounds 
not right with what they've already accomplished. Like this, I mean, that's a that's a team that has done, I think, everything that has been asked of them. No, they haven't really like run away from anybody, but they they're sitting at six and one. They've lost to they, yes, they lost to Purdue, but they have wins over USC, UCLA. You'd think that maybe they'd be better than thirty one. Second WCC team at forty nine is USF. And this I don't think the I don't think them being second is necessarily a surprise is not a surprise to me. I do think them being 49 is a little bit surprising because I don't think that USF has actually picked up the wins that really make it that they should have been there. Uh, they've again they've had chances. I don't think they've really cashed in quite yet. They lost close at Boise. They lost close at Grand Canyon. They lost close at Arizona State. They're right there. They just haven't quite put it all together. Next, and we have to keep scrolling. You have to keep scrolling, keep scrolling, keep scrolling to find the third WCC team at 124 is Santa Clara. And they're, they have maybe actually the most similar ranking to what their current Ken Palm is. It's 124 to 137. So not a whole lot of variance between those two. Uh, I... I think Santa Clara has been kind of jobbed by the metrics to this point. Uh, that Oregon win not carrying all too much weight yet. Obviously, that's going to end up looking better and better as it goes along because Oregon's at least going to be a half-decent team in the Pac-12. But Santa Clara being the third team in the WCC. Also, they're right at that quad two cut line, the road quad two cut line at 125. So... Three teams in the WCC right now count as a quad one or a quad two. Notice the team I haven't said yet. It is the next team I'm going to mention. And I have to keep scrolling, keep scrolling. At 155 is St. Mary's. And based on what we have seen to this point, I even as bad as they have played considering the quality of their opponents i did not think to see them this low i did not think to i did not think samers would be all the way down at 155 when this came out i thought maybe they'd be in the 110s maybe right around 100 i did not think they would slide all the way down to the 150s which so this one even as poorly as they have played recently this is still shocking to me Fifth on that list at 173 is LMU. LMU, again, is that one of these teams? They've had chances. They haven't cashed in. I think this this game against Nevada, I, I'm you can't read too much into it, and we'll dive into it a little bit more in more detail. Uh, this Nevada team is really, really good. I think uh, in the original, in the first net rankings, they're – top 20. So this is a very good Nevada team. They've, they're still undefeated. I think they're 8-0 at this point. They've done what they're supposed they're doing what they're supposed to do and LMU just has not been able to cash in on a lot of their chances that they've had. Maybe they should have beaten Oakland. Oakland looks like they're going to be a really good team. They should have probably beat Stephen F. Austin. That's going to be a team toward the top of the Big West. 
or the the WAC, not the Big West. And and their team that I think has also just been a little bit disappointing to this point and hasn't found a rhythm quite yet either. Then we get down to the the established bottom tier of the conference, and it gets really ugly really fast. Pepperdine, 234. 237 is San Diego. 247 is Portland. And then all the way down at 339 is Pacific. The bottom half of this league has not done itself any sort of favors. The WCC in general in the non-conference has not done itself any favors. They haven't really picked up any wins that weren't weren't unexpected outside of the Oregon win for Santa Clara. But they've also dropped some games that they weren't supposed to win. Or they, they dropped some games that they weren't supposed to lose. Santa Clara w- should not have lost the Cows. St. Mary should not have lost to Weber State. They should not. This is, USF should not have lost that game to Grand Canyon. I don't think that LMU should not have lost to Stephen F. Austin. They shouldn't have lost to Yale. You can go up and down this the the list of teams that they should not have lost. Portland should not have lost the way they did the Air Force. Uh, it's been a really disappointing non-conference for the WCC overall. Uh, there's. This is still only the first month of play. We have a whole other month before conference starts. And I, the schedules do get largely a little lighter. I think a lot of the WCC teams kind of loaded up early on, especially St. Mary's. I think USF kind of loaded up a little bit early as well. And it's going to get, I think, a tiny bit easier. So there's room to make up some of this. But, I mean, let's be honest with where the net rankings are right now. This is, it's not good essentially for anybody outside of Gonzaga and USF. Santa Clara, I think, still has a shot because of the number of tough opponents they have in December. But the Cal loss really, really hurts. I'm almost, I'm really curious to know what that would have been had they beaten Cal on Saturday. So, what does this mean for a lot of these teams? What is what does this do for the chances of some of these teams? And we'll go ahead and start with the team that is good, is on that short list, is on that list of most disappointing teams, if not the most disappointing team early on, and that's St. Mary's. Lost a couple of games over the week. They lose to... Utah at home, and that was and that game. That was one that really seemed like it got away from them. In the second half, they went about seven minutes stretch without a field goal. Uh, this, it was a really, it was a really fun game there in the first half uh, between USF, uh, sorry, uh, St. Mary's and Utah. But that second half, we again this off this offensive drought that this team has the tendency to go through reared its ugly head again. And and found a way to bite this team. They ended up down 13 late in that contest. They put on a run very very late, three minutes left in that and that and did have a shot uh, with about a minute left to to 
get that game to a single digit or one possession game. They could have, they had a shot, uh, but it just was a game that slipped away in that and really just keyed in on that scoreless streak because for the most part, St. Mary's was in that one. And that was one they should have had. And then a few nights later, playing in Idaho against Boise State, rather than waiting until the second half, they decided to start the game without a field goal for the first seven minutes. They had, up until the 13-minute mark in the sec in the in the first half, they had one point, no field goals. They didn't have a point through the through, I think it was the nearly to the second media timeout. The St. Mary's team, and they did crawl back into this, so it's not like they got blown out. They lost, ended up losing by four, or they lost by five. Um, sorry, four, five, three. They lost by three to a good Boise State team who beat USF just a few weeks ago. And they have just not been able to find the gear to get themselves over the top and not have these really devastating scoring droughts. Because it really does seem that if teams can take away one guy, really, they can t- if they can take away Aiden Mahaney and force someone else to beat them, that is the game plan. And to this point, that... They St. Mary's has not had an answer for that. They have not had an answer of who can actually help stem the tide when one guy can't get open. They need the Alex Dukas's and he and Dukas did play well against Utah, not so well against Boise State. They need the Augustus Marshallonis who played well against Boise State but did not play well against Utah. They need Mitchell Saxon to play well and he looks a little bit flustered and unlike the player that we saw a year ago. And this team looks also not as deep as we thought it might be. Not the team that we thought we might see to this point. Uh, And this is not just a, it's a surprise to almost anyone who's watched this team uh, to this point. Uh, They're three and five. This is the first time they're going, they're at three and five since the 0102 season. Randy Bennett's first year in Moraga. This is going to be the first time since 2005 that through 10 games they will not have a winning record there's a lot of first time since first time since with this squad and it's not like that this team is still not talented i think they've played far better this past week than they have a couple weeks ago but they haven't yet found a way to get over the hump against good teams they're still far better and we saw against davidson uh, how much better they are than that level of a team. But they still have not figured out how to get over the hump against tournament-quality teams. And that's been the challenge to this point, and that challenge is not going to get any easier uh, this week because they're going to be at Colorado State. And looking at that game, looking at that matchup, I mean, Colorado State is a load. Colorado State is a is going to be one of the better teams that they see all year long. And this is a this is a team that's also beaten them twice in the last 2 years. They beat them in Moraga last year when they weren't very good. They beat them pretty soundingly a couple years ago 
in Fort Collins. So this is going to be another interesting matchup to kind of see where what this team can do. Because St. Mary's, I mean, looking at this game, I'm not all that optimistic about their chances against Isaiah Stevens, who is one of the better uh, guards in the country. 17 points a game, 53% from the field, seven assists a game. I mean, it's it's going to be a tough, tough challenge, I think, for the St. Mary's squad to go into that building, a building they have not played well against, a team they have not played particularly well against, and get and get a win. Can they? Sure. This team is capable. There's The talent is there. They just have not been able to put it all together. And that's the problem. It's that right now they are still, they need everything to go right for it to go right. And they've also been tested not only by good teams, but it's also been tested by teams that are really ground and pound teams. Like you look, San Diego State, Xavier, Boise, even to a lesser extent, Utah is that way. It's like you had a lot of teams who were just going to just really try to like, really try to play physical, really try to slow you down. And it really does look like putting St. Mary's into a half-court offense right now is actually to their detriment, which has been a strength for so many years. Uh, it do, it does look like when they when they can finally speed up and play a little bit faster, they've played a bit better. I thought they looked better against Utah, and they play a little bit more up-tempo. When they played against New Mexico, a little bit more up-tempo, St. Mary's, I thought, played, they looked better. And maybe that's the identity that this team needs to have, and it too often tries to slow things down. And they're going to have to change something because this is what they're doing clearly is not working against the better teams. But I will say at this stage, because I think with the net rating where it is, this is a team that has to really start to make adjustments so that it's they're playing their best into February and into March, because it really does feel like at this point that St. Mary's is going to have to win the tournament in Vegas for them to really have a shot to get back to the NCAA tournament. I don't see the scenario where they can get back into it as an at-large this season. It seems too far-fetched, too, too many things have to go right for that to be a real thing. And on the flip side, I'm going to talk about the team I think that has that still metrically looks like has the best shot, and that's and that's USF at 49. Like they're they're hanging around, and they do have a couple of wins against uh, Power Six schools. Sure, it's DePaul and Minnesota, but those are still wins. Those still count. Uh, they have Vanderbilt this week, which is going to be at Vanderbilt, so it is does give them a true road game, but this is a Vanderbilt team, at least early on. I think I took a look like they're down. They are not a good, um, they don't want also one of the worst power six schools. Uh, so this is a must win for USF. Uh, their rest of the schedule, they do have Utah state remaining in the non-conference. They have Fresno state uh, before they get to conference play, but this USF team, has I they have the pieces like I like the game against Minnesota really looked like their best showing to this point, and when everything is clicking, this is a good good team. Um, 
that is going to give a lot of fits, I think, to to a lot of teams in the conference, especially Jonathan Mobo, who has been maybe arguably the best big man in the conference to this point. Uh, what was he had twenty three and sixteen the other night against Arizona State in that loss, uh, but he is he is honestly like even at this stage of considering like how like let's say like like how a little more inconsistent than Ryan Nebart has been to this point that Mobo might be the newcomer of the year at this stage. I would I would not be uh, upset at making that that case or really saying that he's the guy right now. Santa Clara then also brings up an interesting case because Santa Clara this past week really did not do itself any favors. I mean, they bounced back. They played Menlo. That, does Menlo really count though? Not really. So they then actually got to play a real team and they played Cal and they lose a game to Cal. They were without Carlos Marshall, which doesn't help matters. But that is a team that they should still beat on the road. And it's just, it doesn't help their metrics. They were already not being helped by the metrics, or at least not in Ken Palm. Uh, to that point, they got the win against Oregon. They lose Ohio State and almost go right back to where they were. But they also still have plenty of chances to build it back up. And they have more chances still to build it back up. New Mexico's on the schedule, Utah State, Washington State. Those are over like the next that's over the next couple of weeks. So there's a lot of opportunity for Santa Clara to get some of that back and do it quickly. But now I think with the loss to Cal, it's put an extra emphasis that now some of these became would be nice to now must haves. And I think that does start with Saturday against New Mexico. New Mexico and New Mexico and Utah State are probably the two best teams amongst that trio. And that's going to, and those are going to be really important for them to grab. Uh, New Mexico is seven and one, and, but the added challenge right now is that they get, they got Jalen House back just in the last couple of days. So one of the better guards in the, in the Mountain West, averaging 17 points a game. Uh, he was out with an injury, did not play the game against St. Mary's, and that is the one loss that New Mexico has. Uh, and, of course, like this team's also still has Jamal Mashburn Jr. Eight, he's averaging 18 a game. Uh, Donovan Den has been very good for this squad, uh, being the ball handler, almost seven assists per contest. So this the, the New Mexico depth is really going to test the Santa Clara depth. We've talked all offseason long, talked during the season, how this Santa Clara team is deeper than any team that they have had in recent memory. And that depth is going to be tested against a team like New Mexico. They're going to need someone like Tyree Bryant, who I've really loved the way he's played to this point in the season to come through. He didn't play that well against Cal. He went five for 15 uh, from the field, uh, taking the starting spot of um, Carlos Marshall. Assuming Carlos Marshall is back, they're also going to need Tyree. Well, I think they need Tyree Bryan to play well no matter what. Uh, this is also going to be a game you're going to need Christoph Tilly to really give you a big night. You're going to need Johnny O'Neill to come through. This is a new, the New Mexico game is to an extent is an all hands on deck game because that is a team that can hit you from a, in a lot of different ways with a lot of different scoring options. And you better be ready to punch back. 
And St. Mary's did do that in their game. They actually jumped on New Mexico pretty quickly in that one. And that might be the way that Santa Clara has to do is jump out the gate early and get and really get into a rhythm quickly. Because I think if you have Carlos Marshall back, if you get Tyree Bryan going early, that is going to really help them moving forward. Because the one thing we've seen is that Adama Ball could take over late in these ball games. That's what he did against uh, Oregon. It's what he did against Stanford. It's so that's the guy who you can, I think, rely upon a little bit more to take get you to the finish line. You need the you need the this roster and in complement to get you going, and then he can get you to the finish. I think that's the that seems to be at least the way that in bigger games that Santa Clara is going to really do well. For for LMU. They're definitely in a scenario where it's Vegas or bust at this point, 173. Like they're not climbing out of that hole for any level of an at-large. That game against Nevada, they were down by 25, one point in the second half. It looked like they were playing elite. They were in the game in the first half. They were hanging around and then it just got away from them in the second. Uh, the starters have did not play well in this one. They went, combined seven for 31 from the field two for 13 from three but this was the first time where they really let one get away from them uh and earlier in the game like they've they've been in most of their games they just haven't been able to finish a lot of these contests and for lmu it's a matter of finding that consistency on the offensive end because they have not been able to find that night and night out and the problem it's not that they don't have someone who then steps up. They've had Will Johnson step up off the bench. They've had Dom Harris step up off the bench. They've had guys step into those roles and be the guys for a night. But they have yet to find the guys who are going to be the every night players. And that even goes all that's up and down this roster. Uh, on any given night, it could be anybody, which it has a, it's good and it's bad because you don't know who you can rely upon one night to the next. And I think for LMU, this is the, this is the challenge. Who can you rely upon night in, night out? When you get into late game situations, who is the guy? Is it just the hot hand that night? Or is there somebody you, you know, you can give the ball to every time out and know that they're going to be able to get the job done more times than not. And for this, for this chunk of WCC teams, for St. Mary's, for USF, for Santa Clara, for LMU, I think for two of them, for St. Mary's and LMU, the goal now should be it's get right, play your best, and figure out the way of like how best to win once you get to Las Vegas for the WCC tournament, because that is your way in to the NCAA tournament. For the likes of Santa Clara and USF, I think that they both have opportunities to take care of business and maybe, just maybe, do enough that it won't be necessary to win in Vegas. Will it still be necessary to probably beat Gonzaga at least once? Yeah. Will it be necessary to probably clean house on everybody else? Yes. But it is doable. I think it's far more doable than then for St. Mary's or for LMU, which obviously it's easy when I can look at the numbers and say 155, 173, longer shots for those two than it is for USF and Santa Clara. But I, and then I will add this note 
before we start talking about Gonzaga is that for both Santa Clara, St. Mary's, USF, and to a lesser extent LMU, I do think all of them are capable of beating Gonzaga. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that Gonzaga wins the tournament in Vegas. Right now, Gonzaga is playing the best and maybe the best team for the regular season. I They have been the most consistent. They have handled their business and they are getting better. But I do think that they have holes. I do think that they are not as dynamic as they were a year ago. They are a different team than they were a year ago. I think they're a more balanced team than they were a year ago. I think you have you have better options. I think they are better def- they they right now I think are a better defensive team than the team a year ago. They play faster than the team a year ago. But it is still early and we have seen Gonzaga to this point play well. They beat USC, they beat UCLA, they beat Syracuse. They've beaten some good teams. They did lose to to Purdue, but they were leading that game in half. And then it slipped away in the second. And this Gonzaga team is doing a lot of very good things. And before we go any further, we're going to get Andy in here. We'll talk We'll talk about the Zags and really where they are at this point and talk to him more also about where he sees the rest of these teams uh, moving forward. I'm happy to bring in uh, Andy Patton from the Locked On Zags and Locked On uh, College Basketball Podcasts. Uh, find them on YouTube. Find them on your favorite streaming service. Andy, great to have you. How was Vegas, and, and what were your initial impressions of getting to see the Zags um, in person? Yeah, it was great. It was a fun trip. Uh, always a good opportunity to see the Zags. Uh, got a chance to also watch the Colorado State-Washington game, which was a fun game. Particularly in the second half, shout out former pilot Moses Wood was phenomenal in the first half for UP in that one. They unfortunately weren't able, or for, for UW, uh, they weren't able to pull off the win over Colorado State. But uh, yeah, Gonzaga looked incredible. You know, they jump out to a 15-2 lead, absolutely blitz USC right out of the shoots. Uh, Dusty Stromer's hitting threes. I think you could kind of tell that the game plan for, for Andy Enfield and the Trojans was to potentially let the freshman shoot threes, which is an understandable game plan. Then he knocks down a few early and, and USC wasn't expecting Gonzaga to run as much as they did. And I felt to me like Gonzaga really had a, a strong game plan in this one to force Collier and Boogie Ellis into, to, mid-range jump shots or three-point shots as opposed to letting them get all the way to the rim and uh, not let them rebound very well. USC's a pretty poor rebounding team. Gonzaga out-rebounded them in a big way, got out in transition in ways that I think they wanted to do. The bigs off the bench were phenomenal. Ben Gregg and Braden Huff both had fantastic games. Ben Gregg, 14-8, and eight, coming off the bench, hitting some huge shots in that second half. And I, I saw somebody describe this as kind of a professional win for Gonzaga. Like, this is how how you need to win games against good teams. You get out to an early lead and you just never really let them get back. I think it got within six or four in the set in the late in the first half and in the second half, I'm not sure it was within, it was barely within double digits. I think there was maybe a few times it was nine or seven, but it never really felt like Gonzaga was in danger of actually losing that game after the first four minutes. And, and to do that against a team that, is not ranked currently, but I think will be ranked at some point this season. Again, they started the year ranked. I think once they get Bronny back, I think this USC team is second or third in the Pac-12. I think they'll 
be at the bottom half of the top 25 for a while. And, and that's a really nice win for, for So you expect it from Gonzaga at this point, you know, they're always beating Pac-12 teams, but this was, this was not a super easy win as despite the fact that it kind of looked like it. And I think that's a testament to, to how good this team can be. Yeah. I, I think it was, I don't remember if there was as much of mention of it during the U, UCLA game, the broadcast for that mm-hmm. one, but multiple mentions of the, the Zags win streak against Pac-12 yeah. teams. And this one 16 straight dating back to 2016, yeah. Uh, which is obviously like in just an incredible uh, feat when you consider who the Pac-12 teams have been in that stretch. Uh, I mean, we've now seen about a month of play from from everybody and from mm-hmm. specifically from the Zags. Like, what's what's what have been a couple of things that have stood out to you about way the way they've this team has played to this point? Uh, some bright spots, concerns. What's what have been? What's your early read? The one month in. Yeah, it's funny. This Gonzaga team is a lot different, and and I, I don't think we should be shocked by that. You lose a Drew Timmy. I mean, he's not only he's not just like oh Gonzaga's best player left. He he like was the team. Like the offense and the defense were dictated by his strengths and his weaknesses. Offense, of course, was was funneled through him in a way that Gonzaga they they always have high usage bigs. They always have, but but Drew was on another level with that. And then defensively, I don't think they were able to do some of the things that they're doing now just because of some of his limitations. And so he leaves. You also lose you know phenomenal offensive players in Strother and Bolton and, and Malachi Smith and all of your bench depth basically leaves. And so you kind of have to rebuild. And what I liked that Mark Few was, was willing to do was to adjust some of the styles that they like to play at based on the personnel that they have. And what we've seen in particular from this team that is different uh, is defense. They, they are much more active defensively. They're using their hands more. They're playing the passing lanes. They're more aggressive. They're more physical. They're taking more risks. Like last year's defense and, and a lot of the defenses kind of in that Drew era were, were a bit more passive. Uh, they had, you know, they had Chet Holmgren, so they were able to funnel players to the rim and let him defend the rim, and they don't have that anymore. And they had Jalen Suggs, who's one of the most physically imposing guards they've had in, in ever, quite frankly. And this year's team doesn't quite have that, but they have this energy, this this enthusiasm. Dusty Stromer has been phenomenal on the defensive end. I spent all offseason saying, hey, I really like Dusty. I think he's going to be a great defender, but freshmen aren't usually good defenders. And he has proven me wrong through the first month of the season. And uh, Graham E.K. may not be the rim protector that that Gonzaga, I think, could have used this offseason, but he's great at hedging screens. He's great at using his size. He's really strong despite not being super tall. He's also got a big wingspan. And I think this team is is playing defense much differently than they have in the past. I worry a bit about the depth and the amount of minutes we're seeing early from the guards. It's hard not to be concerned. I mean, Ryan Nemhard and Nolan Hickman basically are not sitting ever. I think Hickman played 36, and that's like the fewest minutes he's pretty much played all year against USC. And so I think uh, how this team responds late in the season with all the minutes that they're playing here, especially in the guard room. I mean, they have seven guys in their rotation. Four of them are bigs. Uh, basically, the only guards playing are Nemhard, Hickman, and Dusty Stromer. They're all starting. So I'm not super concerned. I think Mark Few will figure it out. I think Luka Krinovich, who's kind of that eighth, ninth guy, he hasn't played in a while. But I, I think that there's hope that he might be able to, as he learns the offense, gets familiar with college basketball. I mean, he came from Croatia. He didn't even join the team until September. Maybe there's some optimism that he can kind of carve out a bit of a role as the year goes on. But uh, it's hard to have too many complaints about this team right now. Um, outside of a bad a second half against a really good Purdue team, they have they've looked really good this year. I mean, that's I mean, that's definitely one of the things that popped out to me was is the just the minutes played from especially mm-hmm. those three because I the last three games it's 
was it? Nemhard is 40, 36, 38. Hickman, 40, 37, 36. Mm-hmm. Dusty is 40, 33, 35. And yeah. the, I'm, I'm now I'm less concerned about maybe Hickman and mm-hmm. Nemhard because those are college basketball veterans. Yeah. They've been here before. The more concerning one to me is probably Dusty Stromer mm-hmm. only because he is a true freshman. Yeah. This is brand new to him. And that right now I think it's fine. But as we get into like mid January into February, like what's that, how's that wear and tear going to be? And maybe there's someone on that bench that could step up. But that is to me, like that's maybe the more concerning one because I've, I'm, I'm with you. Like I've loved the way Dusty has played defense to this point. I think he's, offensive game is starting to slowly come into to yeah. form, uh, which I think was fine for what Gonzaga needed at this point. Mm-hmm. And, but just his minutes, that just seems like so many minutes for a freshman and to, re- to have that much reliance upon him, because I'm just trying to think of, because if, if he did, doesn't play now, and I know Gonzaga planned to have two other guys mm-hmm. initially here, like this was also going to be steel venters. Yeah. You hopefully, I mean, obviously health reasons, um, sideline Caden Perry yeah. and he's he stepped away from the game but I mean man this I'm a little I'm that's my one big concern yeah. is the is for Dusty long term in this season yeah and, and it's a completely fair concern and I toss in the fact that the Nolan Hickman in his first two years has really fallen off a cliff towards the end of the season and that's something that worries me a bit too he, he as a freshman you're kind of like okay freshman often you know hit a wall in February but he did it last year too and Gonzaga really needed him last year and I think he had like eight points in the NCAA tournament across four games and six of them were against Grand Canyon like he just he, he struggled towards the end of the year and, and so I think the conditioning for him has gotten better but it's a concern that that's happened two years in a row in terms of the the three position I think the guy they're really hoping for there is is Jun Suk Yo uh, the South Korean 21 year old uh, he's he you could tell Gonzaga wasn't expecting a big role for him this year they were kind of hoping he'd be eighth ninth man you know kind of playing a little like freshman year Rui Hachimura minutes where he's just coming in in garbage time and, and he's kind of a hellraiser on the floor, but he's not really, you know, integrated in the offense or defense. And, and I think that was the plan with Yo, and now they have to kind of have him ready to potentially play more minutes. He only played one minute against USC at the end of the first half, just to prevent anybody from picking up a third foul. And I think we might see him get more of a role when, when he, you can tell the talent is very clearly there. He's six, eight, he's strong. He's a, he's a legitimate small forward. He can shoot the three, he blocks some shots, but he's also out of position a lot and taking shots. He shouldn't be taking. You can just tell he's still finding his spot in the offense. So I think Gonzaga is hoping one of one of Yo or Krinovich can can step into a more consistent role, but uh, you can tell that wasn't the plan before the season. And obviously, losing Steel Venters uh, after the season had already started, but before Gonzaga had played, I mean that's that's a really tough blow. I think the plan was for Steel to start at the three. Dusty would be playing a, a twenty ish 25 minute roll off the bench and i think a lot of people would already be clamoring for him to start over steel if if steel had been healthy but uh you know not having that depth option steel could play the two potentially and put some less pressure on Nemhard and hickman and they just don't have that and it's unfortunate uh the offseason went the way that it did with you know not only losing perry like you said but alex tui was a guy who decommitted from the program he was, I think, expected to play some three. They had the the month-long saga of Marcus Adams Jr. commits to Gonzaga, leaves to go to BYU before he ever steps foot on campus. Like they had some some plans in place, some some guys that I think they were I don't know if how much they were gonna rely on Adams, but they had guys that they were expecting to potentially play some minutes and and 
everything kind of fell apart at the end and, and just leading right up into the season with the Venters injury. And the fact that they're playing this well with all of those issues that they had in the off season is a testament to Coach Few and, and, and the talent that they have on the roster. But yeah, it's hard to not have in the back of your head at least some concern about this uh, this depth on this team and then the amount of minutes a freshman in Str- like Strower's playing. Now, something that we were talking about right before I hit the record button was just the fact that, I mean, one of the options that we've seen early is that we've seen three bigs on the floor mm-hmm. at the same time yeah. in a lot, in some of these rotations. And really because it's like, you have three, your bigs have turned into some of the better perimeter yeah. shooters. I mean, between the way we, the way Ben Gregg has played to this point, we've seen some really good things from Braden Huff, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we know Anton Watson can step out and we saw EK hit a few threes. I think it was against uh, Purdue. I remember one of the yeah. games in Maui, uh, he hit a couple of threes. And the bigs are starting to kind of turn into some of those three-point threats. And mm-hmm. is that sort of kind of mitigating at least some of like this early concern? Because like the bigs have been able to kind of step up into those roles as well. Yeah, it's 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 been interesting. Gonzaga hasn't played four bigs in a while. Uh, the, in, in fact, the last time I can really remember them playing four bigs consistently was the 2016-17 team that went to the national championship. And, and there are, frankly, a lot of parallels between this roster and that, that roster. The, the depth is not there. And, and frankly, that roster started Jordan Matthews at the three and brought a redshirt freshman off the bench in Silas Melson. And if Gonzaga had Steel Venters, he fits that Jordan Matthews role really well. And Dusty could kind of be that Silas Melson role off the bench. I just spoke about this on locked on Zags, but that team had two point guards in Williams, Goss, and Perkins. They had four bigs in Karnowski, Jonathan Williams, Killian Tilly, and Zach Collins. And the two bigs coming off the bench, Collins and Tilly, were both outside shooters, floor spacers. And you kind of see a lot of those similarities with EK and Watson being the starting two. And, and uh, of course, Huff and Greg coming off the bench. And, and I'm glad that Mark Hughes utilizing all four bigs. Uh, I thought maybe he would keep one of those guys you know, in, in kind of a small role like Efton Reed last year was the fourth big. He played like four or five minutes a game. But Braden Huff very clearly needs to play more than four or five minutes a game. Yeah. I mean, he's been playing fantastic. And, and Ben has had some some issues defensively, positionally, I think, that that uh, you can kind of see every once in a while. But his energy level is unmatched. And, I mean, he was Gonzaga's – you make an argument he was their best player uh, against USC, especially in that second half with his outside shooting. And his decision-making has just improved so dramatically where he's – sometimes you can see him get a little, there's a few times in the USC game, you saw him get a little panicky with the basketball and then he paused and he figured out a spot to make an entry pass. And those are the kind of mistakes, you know, things that he would have made, made mistakes with in the past. And I just think Mark Few's ability and willingness to play the three bigs uh, at the same time. I'm not a huge fan of the three big lineup, especially not for long periods of time, but in short spurts, it works. And I think the reason I'm hesitant on it is because the ball handling skills. It was like, well, Ben Gregg can play the three because yeah. he's a good shooter. It's like, yeah, have you seen Ben Gregg dribble though? I mean, no, no disrespect to him, but that's not an area. He's not <laughs> going to put the ball on the deck and go to the hoop. He tries a few times and it doesn't work. And Watson can kind of play the three a little bit more, but he's not quite as consistent of a shooter. Uh, it also just doesn't allow Gonzaga to get out and transition the amount of times they've played the three big lineup. And poor Ryan Nembhard has realized he's going one on three because he wants to run and nobody else on the team is out running. Uh, and, and I think that's fine, especially because, you know, Nembhard and Hickman, you know, they can't run every possession because they're going to play 40 minutes. But I do think that Mark Fuse utilized the three big lineup in ways that I think have been effective. 
by not playing it for 10 straight minutes. And I think it's it's a product of, of necessity with the, the depth, the lack of guard depth and the talent they have in the front court. Like I said, when, when you have seven rotation players and four of them are 6'10 or taller, you've got to figure out ways to, to get a little creative. And, and a shout out to Mark Few for, for kind of experimenting with that, especially because, as we said, like this wasn't the plan. Steel Venter's injury was right before the season. So a lot of what we've seen is kind of scrambling. And, and you know, to be scrambling this early in the year and beating teams like USC and UCLA is, is a pretty good sign for the Zags. Yeah. So to this point, seven and one. So the Zags are doing, doing well to this point. Like they, I think we've seen very much uh, a Zag team. We are record wise and result wise, very fam- in familiar territory with where we are to this point in the season. Mm-hmm. So outside of Gonzaga, I mean, we, you, you're watching a lot of these games. You're paying, you're watching these other WCC teams. What's been the most shocking thing to you to this point? And I'm pretty sure I know what the answer is going to be. Uh, just because, because the WCC outside of Gonzaga really has not had a good non-conference. And uh, you can go up and down the the roster of the WCC teams to point out who's had bad losses. Cause really kind of like everybody's had a bad loss <laughs> at some point. Uh, but what's, what's the thing that's been, stood out to you the most. Yeah. I mean, it's gotta be St. Mary's and, and in other years, I mean, like Pacific, I think was one of the biggest droppers among all D one teams in terms of preseason Ken Palm ranking and where they are now. I think they're like top three, uh, but St. Mary's on the list too. And St. Mary's would be on the list uh, higher had their preseason Ken Palm ranking been a little higher. And in fact, Ken himself wrote an article before the season saying St. Mary's is one of the teams that he thought was, was most incorrectly ranked preseason. He thought they should have been a lot higher. I think they were like 36th before the season began. Uh, and, and obviously that has not been the case. Uh, St. Mary's has had significant offensive issues. Uh, it's been pretty shocking. I, I think I saw that Randy Bennett's team is three and five for the first time since the 2001 season that's the worst first eight game record they've had that that's his first his first season first season that is insane and this this is very far from randy bennett's you know worst talented roster it's not even close it's very talented team and and they're just i mean they're just struggling it's it's really un unfamiliar to me as somebody who's watched st mary's a lot they're they're typically very consistent uh, but but their offense, I mean, they're, they rely so heavily on being efficient offensively. They they take away possessions on for the opposing team. They take slow possessions. And when you're going to play a possession basketball game, the way that, you know, Virginia does and Houston does and St. Mary's has done for a long time, one of the keys to that is insane levels of efficiency offensively. And they, it's just not there. It's just not there. And, and for some guys, it's just players struggling in ways that you wouldn't expect them to. Aiden Mahaney has been good. He has been not so good at times, but he has, it's not his fault. He's not completely crumbling. It's, it's the fact that, you know, I, th- I think maybe nationally, a lot of people didn't maybe understand the, the, how important somebody like Logan Johnson was to this team or even Kyle Bowen and, yeah. and, and having a guy who could just go get a bucket the way that Logan Johnson could, uh, they don't have that. And, and they're, they're kind of hoping that Augustus Marcelonis will step into that role. And, and he's, he's really struggled. I mean, he's really struggled offensively. He was last time I checked, he was shooting like under 30%. And, and he's, you know, I think he's a talented player, but he he is not able to fill that role the way that I think Randy Bennett hoped he would. And the depth hasn't quite been there yet. Uh, I like Joshua Jefferson. He showed some some good things this year. Mason Forbes has showed some good things this year, but they haven't been at the level they need to. And I mean, I watched them against Boise State and just kind of a listless performance from the team in a way that that is unfamiliar from, you know, having watched them for so long. And 
I, I still believe that this team is capable of, of turning things around. They have one of the best coaches in the conference. Uh, we have one of the best coaches in the country, to, to perfectly honestly. Uh, but the talent isn't as good as we thought. So even if they turn it around and they play more like what Randy Bennett wants to play, they, they play that same style, they, the efficiency ticks up. This is not, I mean, preseason, they were a top 20 team and talent wise, they don't look like that. They don't. And I think that there's still optimism that they can finish second in the WCC. I don't think that that's uh, out. Of, I mean, it's certainly not out of the question at all. And part of that is because, you know, San Francisco and Santa Clara haven't, or LMU, they have looked fine and that they have looked good at times, but they haven't, none of those three teams have con convincingly pushed past St. Mary's. I thought San Francisco might, they lost to Arizona State. It's not a horrible loss necessarily, but would have been a nice win for them to pick up and, and, you know, they can hang their hat on two power six wins, but it's Minnesota and DePaul, not exactly powerhouse programs for, for San Francisco. I like that team. I like that roster. I like their coach, Chris Gerlison. Uh, I think it's certainly possible they finish second in the WCC, but I, I still think it's St. Mary's is, is spot. And I just think that the conference is, you know, somebody who's been a champion of the WCC for a long time has been pushing that narrative of it's getting better, it's getting better, it's getting better. It's hard to reckon with how this season has gone so far because it doesn't look like it's getting better. No, this this has been a one of the one of the worst non conference performances we've seen in a long, long time, yeah. long long time. And I mean, sure, part of it is because we've seen these teams challenge themselves a little bit more than maybe we've seen in the past. Sure. Santa Clara's schedule I mean, this month alone is going to be a lot more challenging for the next like few weeks before they get the conference. Uh, and St. Mary's, we know like that was you really actually look at just like who they've played. Mm -hmm. It is a bit of like a brutal schedule. Yeah. Just they play basically nobody bad except their D2 game, which most right. teams have a D2 game. So. Well, also, also, it's just like it's just the style of those teams because a lot of those teams are are really grinding yeah. <laughs> will grind you like new mexico mm -hmm. you look at boise state you look at you san diego state yeah. xavier like these these teams don't plan to score a whole lot of points mm -hmm. either like they are the we're just going to grind you into the ground and they have colorado state at colorado state on saturday which yeah. there is another one yeah it's just gonna and speaking on a team that's played really well they're really good uh, to this point uh, was that that when it clobbered Creighton a couple weeks ago? Yeah, yeah. I, I think I have Colorado State as a top fifteen, definitely a top twenty team. They're really good. That's going to be a, a great test for St. Mary's. I, I'm not counting on a win there, but if they play well at least, that's going to you're going to feel a lot a lot better if they can play a close game against that Ram. Yeah, I, I think they've played better in the last week, based mm -hmm. especially after the 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 horrible weekend the Vegas yeah. weekend was with Xavier and uh, San Diego State. They yeah. look a lot better than that, but. Yeah, there's still something left to be said. There's still mm -hmm. there's still time. I know, like that priest, that opening net ranking of 155 is is yeah. frightening. Yeah, brutal. But it is early, and mm -hmm. I know that there's still opportunities. But it really does feel for St. Mary's at this stage. It's they got to run the it, they've got to run the table. It feels like yeah. not honestly like win every game from here to now. But mm -hmm. they if they want to get back to the tournament, it feels like. You better win in Vegas. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I, if they win every single game from now until the championship in Las Vegas, and they lose there, they might might get in that large. But even then, even then, like I, I would, if I'm St. Mary's, I'd rather say, okay, we'll take our take our lumps, lose a few games, but if we beat Gonzaga in in Vegas, at least we get ourselves into the big dance because. I'm not sure I would even expect a, a bid out of that. And that's not something we've said about, about St. Mary's in early December, that they're already out of the running for net large. Yeah. That, that, that didn't happen often, but they're, they're kind of right on that borderline.
Yeah, I think the one thing, maybe there'll be some sort of switch like we saw in 2019. There was kind of like a mid-season switch that yeah. they they did after getting clobbered by Gonzaga <laughs> uh, that that actually set them on the gritty, not pretty trend uh, that ended up actually resulting in a couple of two five seeds. So uh, we'll see if that is ends up what, what happens if that ends up happening and how the rest of the season goes for them. Uh, all right, Andy, uh, thanks for hopping on. Thanks for uh, chatting some WCC hoops. Um, Zags are going to be at Washington this week. Uh, they with a Washington team that also looking pretty good. Yeah. Their only losses, Colorado state, Nevada, both undefeated and that, that thriller against San Diego state yeah. in overtime. So that's going to be a fun matchup on Saturday. Uh, so Andy, thanks a lot for hopping on and uh, we'll catch you down the road. Zach, anytime. Appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me on. So, so this Gonzaga team has played played really well. I think that the, there's there's a lot of good that's come out of what we've seen from them so far. Dusty Stromer, to me, has been the highlight of what we have seen to this point, mainly because he was obviously he was the most unknown because he's a true freshman. You don't necessarily know what you're going to get um, early on. And he's done all the little things. He's played defense. He's passes the ball well. He he's showing the effort. And now the offensive game is coming along with it. We saw him hit four threes on on Saturday against USC. He's starting it's starting to come around. And I knew you knew that was going to happen because that's what he came in as. Like he was going to be a scorer. And he's starting to show a little bit more of that about that. But the big concern for me and Andy and I talked about it. It it's it's the minutes for these guards. I am actually very concerned about what we might see in as we get deeper into the season and as we get to late January, into February, into March. Ryan Emhart has played a ton of minutes already. Last three games, 40, 36, 38. He hasn't played any less than 34 in any. He's played less than 34 minutes once so far. Hickman, 40, 37, 36, last three games. Also, only once less than 34 minutes so far this season. Stromer, last three games, 40, 33, 35. There's not a whole lot of depth to this, this backcourt. And we at least we have not seen it to this point. Yeah, there, there might be some options uh, that might that might we might see as we go forward, but at this stage, it doesn't look like Mark View is trusting anybody else outside of these three to really get through these games. And is the schedule getting any lighter? Not really. I mean, this Washington team coming in, uh, or they're going to uh, head to Seattle for this weekend. I mean, this they're four and three, but the three losses are to two undefeated teams, and Sa and then the third one is San Diego State, where they lost. 100 to 97. <laughs> so it's not like this Washington team is not going to be a factor. It's not going to be a team you have to be concerned about. Uh, this might be actually probably the uh, a Washington team that might be more capable of beating Gonzaga than any in recent memory. Also putting the Pac-12 uh, win streak uh, to to the test again. 16 straight, can it be 17? Um, against Washington. And then UConn in a couple of weeks. I mean, this we saw what happened the last time they saw UConn. And yes, it is different pieces on the UConn side, different pieces on the Gonzaga side. So we'll see. But 
this UConn team has still looked just about as good as it did a year ago. So it's it's hard to really it's hard to get too too ahead of ourselves when it comes to looking at what Gonzaga might be um deeper into the season because they're gonna get tested over and over and over and over again. And I think they're going to need someone else to step up and at least relieve some of those minutes otherwise because i think i mean that many minutes for a true freshman seems like a lot uh, that many minutes for a point guard who's going to be heavily running the offense around the perimeter especially when you have you have bigs who are going to really just you have two who are going to clog the lane you have two who are going to sit on the perimeter uh it's just concerning. I think that's the bottom line for me. It's like I, I'm concerned about just the number of minutes they're going to have to play. And we know that this is a team that usually relies heavily upon just a few guys and they usually play a ton of minutes. But just but this seems to be a little over the top on number of minutes played, at least early on, because right now it's it's 35 plus minutes per game for all these guys. And talked about the Washington game on Saturday. Saturday is going to be a huge, huge WCC day. Was it eight of the nine teams are in action? Uh, Portland has is at North Dakota. Santa Clara is, has New Mexico, as we mentioned. St. Mary's is going to be at Colorado State. Pacific at Fresno State. Uh, Pepperdine hosts UC San Diego. LMU has UNLV. Uh, Santa Clara and uh, LMU will be at the same venue in in Henderson uh, for that one. Arizona State is heading to San Diego, and then Gonzaga, obviously, at Washington. So a, Saturday is going to be a huge, uh, huge day for for the conference. Those are, and really, those are the biggest games of the week as well. Like all those games are going to be really good contests. Uh, USF is the only other one that has something. That we mentioned that it's Vanderbilt on Wednesday. So a lot going into this week. A lot to really pay attention to. I think for a lot of these teams, it's now just get right, start to play well, because the last this past week, I think, has at least sealed the fates for a couple of them. St. Mary's and LMU for Santa Clara and USF. Now it's like if you weren't, didn't have your back against the wall, you do now. You If you still hope to have an at-large, now is time to to really handle your business night in, night out and you have very little margin for error. And I think that goes for both of them. All right, well, that'll do it for this episode of the unofficial WCC Hoops podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast um, on YouTube and also like it and favorite on your favorite streaming services. Follow me on social on social media at Post by Zach. Also the official account for the podcast on off WCC pod on Twitter. All right. With that, happy holidays, everybody, and I will catch you later.